0: الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Welcome once again brothers and sisters to this the third lecture and this series of lectures under the
1: topic title of The Sweetness of Iman Sheikh Ali Al-Tamimi our guest lecturer will uh, carry on with the
0: topic he started in the last lecture which he has not finished as yet and that is Allah's attributes and he'll do our, his best, rather not my best, his best to catch up as he puts it I'll leave uh, the mic to Sheikh Ali to carry on
1: inshallah Alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ba so uh... Who can quickly... We, we took about three principles concerning Allah's attributes. Who can quickly... Just tell me what we just learned. Are uh, hearing? No, oh, you weren't. <laughs> okay, I'll accept that excuse just this time. <laughs>
0: right.
1: Okay, but before that, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or his Prophet tells us, right, we believe in concerning Allah... The second one was that we do not reject whatever Allah or his prophet said by either ta'weed, as you mentioned, or making likening Allah with his attributes or with his, cre- or with his creatures. And the third one was that if we do not understand the meaning of something, we, accept. we just accept it as it is. That's now, um, <coughs> when, when, we, when we ended the last lecture... We were uh, discussing the Hadith of the Prophet وسلم, And the statement of Ibn Anhu, Where we were commanded to follow And not to innovate And also we have now a statement by Umar ibn Abdul Aziz Of the same uh, effect where Umar ibn Abdul Aziz Anhu uh, says uh, Stop where the people before you stopped I mean Umar ibn Abdul Aziz uh, He died in the year 101 He's from the tabi'i, the second generation So he's saying stop where the people before you stopped in other words don't go past the companions of the Prophet for they stopped upon knowledge and they have out of sure sight restrained themselves from going less or further in other words when the, when the, when the Prophet's companions you know, took a position in the religion it was out of knowledge that they took this position they didn't go further than that or they didn't go less than that because, not because of ignorance on their part or, uh, but rather because out of knowledge Had there been something more, he says, uh, to reveal, they would have been more able to come to that meaning. I mean, if there was something more than what they transmitted and what they taught, then they would have taught us that. And if there was any benefit, he says, if there was any merit, they would have been more deserving of it. So if there was any benefit or any merit, any reward in doing more than what they did, they would have done it before us, because they're the best of humanity. Uh, if you were to say, if someone was to say, well, this was introduced after them, then no one introduced anything uh, but he uh, who opposed their guidance and sought other than their sunnah. So in other words, that whoever added something after the companions, I mean, he did it not because out of knowledge or seeking good, but he did it because he is deviated. Uh, they described of it, meaning of Islam, what brings cure to the heart, and they spoke regarding it, of meaning Islam, what suffices. He who does more than them is an extremist and he who does less than them is negligent. And then he says a group of people went more than them and they were, and a group of people went less than them. Uh, and to stay upon what they are upon is to be upon straight uh, guidance. Uh, so that's, that's what Umar bin Abdul Aziz says. Uh, Imam Al-Azai, Abu Amd al-Azai uh, radiallahu anhu says, uh, it is for you to follow the footsteps of those who have gone before you even if the people reject you. And as we said yesterday, al Oza'i was from the third generation. So he's saying it's, it's for you to follow the footsteps of those people who have gone uh, before you, even if the people reject you. In other words, people, they, they have their own ways of doing things. And beware of the opinions of men, even if it's beautified for you by fair speech. Uh, then we have another example uh, Ibn Qadama brings Of uh, a scholar by, by the name of Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman Al-Adrami uh, It's written Al-Adrami But it should be Al-Adrami uh, Who said that One time a person was Calling to some sort of innovation Some sort of bid'ah And um, so this scholar said Did Allah's messenger Sallallahu alayhi wa Know of this bid'ah? Did Abu Bakr? Did Umar? Did Uthman? Or did Ali? Or was it something which they did not know of? Uh, this person who was calling to this innovation, uh, he said that they did not know of such things. So then, another Adrami, he caught him. He said, "Okay, if they knew about, they did not know about this, then how is it that you know about it? If it?" was part of the religion, how is it that you know about something that they did not know? So then, the 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 heretic. He then he said, "No, they knew about it." So he switched his you know, his statement, which is, I mean, and always an indication when somebody switches in a debate, he switches his opinion through the debate, it indicates that he's on falsehood, right? Because he's, I mean, he was caught. So, then, then the uh, scholar said, uh, and then he said to them, okay, well, if they knew about these things, like you're now saying, then if it sufficed them not to talk about this, then why is that sufficing you? neither of you should accept that they knew about these, these innovations, but yet they didn't speak about it, right? They remained silent, right? Then how is it that you have not remained silent about uh, uh, these matters? And, uh, you know, uh, so then he was caught in that. And so then the Khalifa, who was present at that time, say, said, may Allah not suffice he who has not sufficed uh, by what suffices them, meaning the Prophet and his companions. Now this incident occurred, I mean there's a context to this incident I mean this occurred when, you know, at one time uh, during the time of Imam Ahmed When they they had accepted the um, the doctrine that the Quran was created In other words, the Quran was not the literal words of Allah But rather was the words of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And that, that's what really, you see the Quran is created You come down to that point that the Quran is not the true words of Allah, literal words of Allah So they... They, the Khalifa you know he adopted this and, he, and they put the scholars in jail and persecuted them and executed them in order to accept this doctrine so um, Ahmed ibn Hammar was for instance put in jail Al-Adhanami was brought to uh, to be imprisoned and, and, or executed and he had the debate with the leading person of Bid'a who was calling to this and it was from the Khalifa so when he when he, when he showed the Khalifa the, 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 the falseness of this doctrine then the Khalifa, he repented, okay, and then he lifted lifted the, uh, the the testing of the people, and then Ahmed was released from jail and so forth. So this is, this is what this incident refers to. So you know Ibn Khadama Then he he comes to the conclusion. He says in such manner that he who is not sufficed with what Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, his companions and their followers in good, the scholars after them, and those firmly rooted in knowledge, uh, namely reciting the Ayat and reading the reports that mentions Allah's attributes and passing them as they came, then may Allah not suffice him. So in other words, you know, if, if, if a person, you know, he needs to have more than that, it's not sufficient to him what Allah has mentioned in the Qur'an or what the Prophet has taught us, then may Allah not suffice him because, you know, he's not he's not going to reach any, anywhere. Uh, then he, uh, Ibn Qudama mentions a number of Allah's attributes from the Quran and from the Sunnah, and um, we're sort of uh, because of time, we probably won't have time to explain them. But I'm just, let's go through them. Uh. So he mentions that you know that among the um, among the ayat that mention Allah's attributes uh, is Allah's Subh'anaHu wa statement that wa ikram that. The, the face of your Lord will remain So here it affirms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a face And then the next ayah uh, Mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Has uh, two hands yadahu And uh, the next ayah Refers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Has a self as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Says that Jesus when He will be asked on the day of judgment Did you call people to worship me and my mother? Uh, Isa alayhi salam will say تَعْلَمُ مَا فِي I know what is, you know what is with, in myself but I do not know with, with you and also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come to judge the creation Waja'a Rabbuka and other ayats that Allah loves and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is angered and that he comes in the hadith of the Prophet that he descends during the last sort of the night and all these and that Allah will laugh at two men one killed the other but both of them will enter into paradise because the one who killed the... Uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, was an unbeliever when he killed a believer during jihad so the, the believer goes to paradise as a martyr then the unbeliever who killed him becomes a Muslim and goes to paradise so you know all these hadith and these ayat. which he gave some examples he said Ibn Khudamah says and this is point 26 in the, in the numbering so these reports and what resembles it from those reports in which his chain of narration is sound and its narrators have been rated trustworthy we believe in them we do not reject them or deny them uh, nor do we explain them in a manner uh, that differs from its apparent meaning. Nor do we resemble these attributes with those of His creatures. We know that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has none which resembles Him. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٌ وَهُوَ سَمِيعٌ there There is nothing like Him, and He is all hearing, all seeing. So everything that is imagined in one's mind or passes upon one's heart, verily Allah Taala is different than that. This, that. At last sentence, you can should circle it or underline it or something. And that's a principle that whatever you know comes to your mind, whatever you imagine Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is like, then, then know that Allah is not like that because there's nothing like Him. So whatever you know, because when you imagine Allah to be like something, it means you're trying to draw an analogy here, a mental analogy, and so therefore Allah is not like that because you have no in, no example to base your analogy upon. Um, now. Just Yes. On uh, twenty two and twenty four. Yes. Um. Yeah. That uh, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, and that, that that refers to um, uh, that when uh, in an ayah from Surah Toba that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala disliked that the hypocrites go forth with the with the believers in jihad. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala then decreed that they, so that they, they actually did not go forth. With the believers. As far as 24, that your Lord is amazed at a youth that does not uh, possess any desires, um, th- that, uh, that hadith is, we, we affirm it as is, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because the nature of youth is that they follow their desires. And so therefore, if I, if you have a young man who is not driven by his desires but is driven by worship, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is amazed, not in the sense that amazed, in the sense that. Uh, uh, I mean, not in the sense amazed like we say in the English language, I'm amazed by something, in the sense I was ignorant of something, and so then, therefore I, I came to know it. Okay? But in the sense that, that it's something which is unlike it's normally supposed to be, so it's something which is amazing, it's, you know, in, in that sense of, of the word. Okay? Like, um, so in, in the English language you say, oh, I was amazed by that, I was, meaning I was surprised, meaning I did not know it, and so I then came to know it. That's, not, not, that's an incorrect meaning, because Allah knows everything. Uh, Allah knew that, that that youth, that young man, would not be driven by his desires even before Allah created him. Because Allah knows everything and Allah knows of things before they occur. But it means in the sense that it's uh, unlike its, its normal course of things. So, as you would say in English, so that's amazing in the sense that it, it differs how it, things are normally supposed to happen. Um, I know that person. Also, uh, one brother asked me during the break. Uh, if I would have time to explain Allah's uh, names and attributes, uh, I, unfortunately the lectures do not uh, have enough time to do that. But there are some tapes that I did uh, quite some time ago uh, called the Tohid of the Prophets and Messengers. I don't know if it's available here in England, but I sort of go through explanation of Allah's names, uh, very you know sort of brief explanation. So uh, you can refer to those um, tapes, and uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's I mean are, are the tapes here in England available? Or, uh, so, so those brothers who, who, you can ask them and they can point to you where, where you can uh, receive. receive. Um, now, the next thing that then Ibn Qudama mentions uh, some ayat and ahadith regarding uh, Allah's transcendence above His creation. That means Allah is above the creation. So he says, among the ayat that mention Allah's attribute is Allah's statement, Ar-Rahmanu, that the All-Merciful has mounted upon His throne. And also Allah's statement, do you feel secure that He who is in heaven I meant to Memphis So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and these ayats I mean telling us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above us and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above his throne. And likewise we find in the hadith Ibn Khuzaymah mentions some hadith um, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, uh, where the Prophet sallallahu says excuse me uh, فسماع, you know that may Allah be blessed he who or, or no the hadith says rabbuna uh, 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 our Lord who was in heaven. And then likewise the Prophet, uh, when a man struck the face of his slave girl, the Prophet you know, he had the Prophet had made a judgment that whoever hits his slave would have to let that slave free if the slave was a believer, so a man struck his slave girl, so they brought the girl before the Prophet. The so Prophet wanted to test to see if she was a believer to set her free, so he asked her where is Allah? She said, in heaven, or in heaven above us. Uh, and then uh, he said, Who am I? She said, You're the messenger of Allah. So the Prophet said, Set her free because she is a believer. And likewise, the Prophet told her slain, uh when Husayn was an unbeliever, he said, How many gods do you worship? And so Husayn, who was a pagan, said, I worship six. Or, I worship uh, uh, six on earth and one in heaven. So then he asked Husayn, Whom do you worship for your needs and wh- when you are afraid, when you fear? He said, the one in heaven. So the Prophet ﷺ said, leave the six on earth and worship only the one in heaven and I will teach you two prayers. And the Prophet ﷺ taught him to say, Allahumma al-himni rushdi Oh Allah, you know, inspire me or imbue me with my guidance. Waqani shabh nafsi And also protect me or preserve me from the evil of my soul. Uh, I mean, this, this hadith of Hussein is important to understand because it shows us as other indications and as I've explained in other lectures, about the nature of the shirk of the Arabs, right? The pagan Arabs took intercessors here on the earth in the same way as the, the uh, as the Catholics and, you know, as some Christian groups do in the sense that they didn't think that those idols which they, you know, made with their own hand actually created them or pr- sustained them or gave them life and death. I mean, no rational person would think that if he makes something out of wood or out of rock, that that thing created him, right? Because he made it just in front of himself. But rather they, they would say that this is an image of some person like a saint or an angel or a prophet, and by asking, you know, this image, by focusing on this image, we remember the saint. So we're asking this saint or this prophet or this angel. So then that saint or that prophet, the angel would ask Allah. Okay. But the pagan Arabs knew that in times of, you know, stress, that, you know, that it wouldn't ha- benefit them to ask, have an intercession. They would go directly to Allah So when the Prophet asked for slain, you know, how many do you worship? you know, who do you worship? And Hussein said, I worship six on earth and one on heaven. He knew that, first of all, it shows the pagans knew that Allah was above them. And second, it shows that they they took these idols, as we know from other evidences, as intermediaries for their intercession. So when the Prophet then asked him, okay, when when you really are in need of something, or you're really in fear, who do you worship? And he, the Prophet ﷺ being from that society, and that those, those people, he knew that they would only worship Allah, they would, they would not try to seek any intermediary or intercessor. So he said, Husayn said, the one in heaven. So then the Prophet said, okay, if that's the case, you see that you know that when you're in need, you only pray to the one in heaven. Then then why is it that uh, uh, then uh, leave those that you worship on the earth, right? Those idols. And I'll teach you two words that if, you know, to say two types of prayers to, to say. And so Husayn became a Muslim and he accepted that that also shows how the effect of the I mean the prophets, I mean, I mean that they could recognize when somebody asked asked me a question last night you know how do we know that the prophet uh, you know is it only by his miracles but also by his just and I said no it's more than just his miracles I mean you can show his prophethood by many ways also. one of it is by his character by his per, by his persona you know that I mean his that, that Hussein could uh, we, just this short discussion you know few words and Hussein could recognize right this is the prophet of Allah that this is you know, from his just his just his his character, the way he asks and so forth. So Hussein becomes a Muslim. Okay? And uh, the Prophet teaches him this dua. So and also uh, Ibn Qudamah mentions that among that which has been reported in the previous scriptures, in other words the, the references to Muhammad and this ummah in the previous scriptures, uh, is that they prostrate on the earth and they claim that their Lord is above them and, and in the heaven above them. Uh, Abu Dawood reports in his sunan that the Prophet said that between each heaven is a distance of such and such, and then I mean, Ibn Qudamah is just you know, abbreviating the narration, and that above that is the throne of Allah, uh, and, and Allah is above uh, his throne. And so then Ibn Qudamah says, this hadith and its like is among those hadith which the Salaf have agreed to, its transmission, have accepted, they do not turn to these reports and reject them, or allegorically interpret them, or resemble or liken Allah to his creatures. And when Imam Malik was asked, uh, O oh Abu Abdullah, you know, this ayah in the Quran, Ar Rahman wa al that the merciful is upon his throne, how did he mount the throne? Uh, Malik said, you know, al-Istiwa, or, you know, mounting is not unknown in meaning. In other words, we understand the meaning of this word. How is incomprehensible. To believe that Allah has mounted upon his throne is required, and to ask about how is a heresy, is a bid'ah. And then Imam Malik ordered him that he be expelled from the Prophet's mosque. So, here is another uh, example of how the Salaf uh, question was last time. Those people who say that, you know, this, this shows another example. We quoted Ahmed and the Shafi'i, and here, Malik, so three of the four Imams, uh, regarding uh, the attributes of Allah and their, and their position. So, are there any questions uh, regarding Allah's sifat and what we, we went through? Could you please expound on point 21? Oh. <laughs> yeah, point twenty one doesn't have uh, just has three dots there. What does that mean? Uh, no, it was an ayah uh, from the Quran, which was um, um, okay. It's, it's, it's ayah from Surah Muhammad, uh, ayah twenty eight. So Surah Muhammad is the forty seventh surah in the Quran. So forty seven twenty eight, and uh, I just, as I said, I mean, this was done very quickly. I typed this up so. Um, there's typing mistakes in it, and I just forgot to put that ayah in there. So, in the ayah says, uh, you know, that is because they, they follow that which Allah hated, okay? So, it shows that Allah hates things, and that's, that's just another example of an attribute of Allah mm-hmm. subhanahu wa ta'ala. just ask a question?
0: Yes. In terms of when one is conversing, there are so many languages and discussing your own local language and describing Allah in that language there any problem in, in terms of the words you use, which your intention is basically to refer to Allah, but the sort of local language being used as when you say God in English yeah. doesn't normally reflect that. This is a
1: problem, so. As long as, I mean, obviously, when in, in, in our whole discussion today, right, in, in all of our discussions, when we, when we don't use the Arabic, then we're, we're never able to express the meaning fully or correctly. But, so as long as the word doesn't imply something which is um, a, of a false meaning, then, then then it's okay to use that word in order to to bring the, the basic concept there. But you're not able to 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 show clearly. I mean, for instance, um, yeah. So I mean, so sometimes there's very there's shades like you know it, of difference in meaning between one word in the Quran and another word in the Quran. When we say in English, we might use the same word to explain both at. but in reality, if you look at the Arabic, there's there's a fine shade of difference. Okay, now, you know, there's no way to express that in the language, so we, we guess you have the general sense of the meaning. And that, and that's, that's, so that's the intent. Okay, so I, I mean, if we're if we're clear on, I mean, this is where we wanted to end last time, at the end of last lecture. Um, so if we're clear on this, we can start with, with this now lecture. Um, uh, is there any questions regarding Allah's attributes and the position of the setup? I mean uh, the idea as I said mentioned the first night uh, last night was that we're just trying to learn general principles here, right. So we, I think we learned this general principle that when it comes to Allah's attributes, that we believe in whatever Allah has told us. We believe in whatever the Prophet has told us. We do not reject what Allah has told us. We do not reject what the Prophet has told us. We do not allegorically interpret Allah's names and attributes. We do not liken Allah's names and attributes to His creatures. We don't understand something, we say we believe it as Allah intended, we believe it as the Prophet has intended. I mean, those are some principles which, which we should use. Now, in terms of um, Allah's speech, oh, there's another thing which I want to point out. If you go to point 26, somebody asked me uh, last time at the end of the, in the question and answer session about the Ahad hadith, I mean, the non-Mutawatir hadith, right? And if you look at what well, I mean, what does Ibn Qadamah say here? I mean, he's just said that as long as the chain of narration is sound and its narrators have been greater trustworthy, we believe in these reports meaning these hadith, we do not reject them so you see even Qadamah didn't put the, the stipulation here that the hadith has been mutawatir all he said was if the hadith is sound and the narrators are trustworthy okay Okay. so now we come to uh, the second lecture which is okay. Allah's Speech And, you know, Allah's speech is part of the discussion regarding Allah's attributes. So, Ibn Qudama says that among Allah's attributes is that he's a speaker with an internal speech. Alright. <coughs> his speech is heard from him by whom he pleases of his creation. Moses, or Musa, alayhi salam, heard his speech directly from him. As Allah says in the Quran, Allahu Musa Without any intermediary. As did Jibreel, Gabriel, And likewise, whomever he permits among his angels and his messengers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks. Okay. Now this issue of uh, uh, having an eternal speech, this is, um, I mean, this is, this could be erroneous depending upon how you understand it. So I'm going to come back to it. So if you want to put a an underline around it, just to point a note that there's there's some issue regarding this, and, and we'll come back to it. Uh, but the point is, is that the first point we should understand that Allah speaks and certain of his creatures, who he chooses, hear his speech. Like Moses, Allah spoke to Moses directly. Like the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. Allah spoke to the Prophet Muhammad directly without any intermediary, when? During the Prophet's Mi'raj. Okay? And likewise, um, the angels, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to some of these angels directly like the angel Jibreel ﷺ, there's no intermediary. And I think if we remember the lectures on the sciences of the Qur'an, we discussed uh, a couple of years ago the different types of revelation. I think you remember.
0: <laughs>
1: a few years ago. So, uh, you know, the different types of uh, revelation. We, we mentioned that one of them is that when Allah speaks directly to his creatures. And also the Prophet ﷺ told us that there's not a single one of us except that Allah will speak directly to him on the Day of Judgment. There will be no translation, right? <laughs> So each one of us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Will speak directly to him on the day of judgment And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Will you know, tell us of our sins And we will confess and acknowledge them Now So as Ibn khudama then says So and among Allah's attributes That he will directly speak to the believers in the hereafter In reference to the day of judgment When people will be, asked, will be told of their sins and they will confess to it And likewise also in paradise Allah will directly speak to the believers And they will speak to him Okay? And uh, then it says he will permit them to visit him and they will visit him. You can just cross that line out. He will permit them to visit him and they will visit him. That's based upon a weak hadith. That the believers will visit Allah in paradise. That's that's uh, hadith in the term, but it's weak. Uh, uh, <coughs> and then then Ibn Qudama you know, gives a number of ayat from the Quran showing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks. Um what, among it the ayah which I've referred to a couple of times thus far that unto Musa you know Allah spoke directly Musa and then also Allah subhanahu ta'ala says that he chose you know Musa above all of his uh, all, all, all of human beings wa uh, kalami by my message and my speech so here you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows that Musa had received revelation also. He was spoken to directly. And likewise, Allah says that of the messengers, some we have preferred over others. Meaning that like when he spoke to some of them directly, like Moses and like the Prophet Muhammad Uh And then also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Shura that it's not for every any human being. That Allah would speak to him except by revelation or from behind the veil. Meaning that Allah would speak to him but that, that human being would not be able to see Allah. But of course in the hereafter, uh, we will see Allah. So here, but it means speaking directly. So, And then also he gives the example from Surah Taha, where when, when Moses was spoken to, uh, Moses heard the voice which said, Verily I am Allah. There is no God but me, so worship me. So, you know, obviously this was Moses, this was Allah speaking. He wasn't an angel, right? Because an angel could not say, Verily I am Allah, there is no God but me, but worship me. So it means that Allah spoke directly to us. So, you know, Ibn Khudam just put all these evidences in order to, uh, in order to show that uh, he was spoken to directly. And then he quotes Ibn Mas'ud, who quotes the Prophet sallallahu wasallam. Uh, ibn Mas'ud said uh, Ibn Mas'ud said that when Allah speaks uh, The wahi, the inhabitants of paradise, uh, of, of heaven Meaning the angels, not of paradise, of heaven uh, Hear his voice And Abdullah ibn Anith uh, reported that the Prophet ﷺ said That Allah will gather the creation on the day of resurrection Barefooted, uncircumcised Naked and free from all bodily defects. In other words, when we are raised on the day of judgment, we will be raised in this state. We'll be we'll be barefooted. We won't be wearing, you know. We will be naked. We'll be uncircumcised, and also we will not have any bodily defects. Okay. Uh, and He will call them out with a voice which will be heard from afar as it will be heard from near, saying, "I am the King. I am the Judge." So people will hear Allah's voice on the day of judgment. This is reported by Abu Bukhari. Uh, and likewise it is mentioned that on the night that Moses heard the voice uh, He heard, you know, it said that Allah said to him, O oh Moses So he felt comforted by the voice, so he went towards it And then he said, I'm in your presence, I'm in your presence I can hear your voice, but I do not see you Where are you? And the voice said, I am above you, I'm in front of you, I'm to your right, I'm to your left And so Moses realized that this is a, something which only befits Allah So Moses said, like, you are like that, my Lord Am I hearing your own words of that of your messenger? And so Allah said, Rather, it is my own words, Moses. So these are all evidences. I mean, Ibn Khudallah puts all these evidences. I mean, just to just to point one point. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks. Alright? So this is one of the attributes of our Lord, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to his creatures. Now, I said, you know, put an underline on point number thirty two. It's an eternal speech. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a Oh, there's, there's, when it comes to Allah's attributes there's, there's two aspects regarding to his speech Allah s- s- has the ability to speak from all of eternity I mean for instance us as human beings when you're born you cannot speak right you then gain the ability to speak right I mean at a certain time you know a child a new baby can, can begin to start vocalizing and making sounds before that he cannot okay but with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his ability to speak is has no beginning because his attributes are with him from, his, from eternity. Now, however though, to call his speech eternal, meaning his specific words, that's incorrect. Uh, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks at when he wants and to whom he wants. So Allah speaks at a certain point in time. Uh, so for instance, when Allah, you cannot say that Allah's statement, when Allah says on the Day of Judgment... When Allah will say, I am the king, I am the judge, that's an eternal speech. Allah will say that during the day of judgment. Okay. Uh, and so, so this is the problem. So, you know, and this is one of the issues which the, the scholars have criticized Ibn Qudama that when he wrote that sentence, he really wasn't very clear. And he left it open, to, opening into interpretation where it could be misunderstood. And, and this is the problem that many of the Hanbali scholars, they fell into describing Allah's speech as the Quran is Allah's eternal speech. And Ibn Qudama seems to have been influenced by that. But that's a different topic. Uh, now, the Qur'an is Allah's literal words. That's to complete this uh, lecture. So if we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken, then uh, from his speech, as Ibn Qudama says, of Allah's speech is the great Qur'an. It is Allah's clear scripture, unbreakable uh, cable, I mean rope, right? And straight path. So he, he describes here the Qur'an by three of its qualities. That it's Allah's clear scripture, it's Allah's rope between us and him, and it's a straight path this is what the Quran is it is ascending down of the Lord of all beings uh, it was sent down with a trustworthy spirit meaning Jibreel upon the heart of the master of the messengers in a clear Arabic tongue that's from a, an ayah and it was sent down and it is uncreated from him it began and unto him it will return in other words Allah spoke it initially and the Quran will go back to Allah before the day of judgment and unto him it will return is reference in reference to before the day of judgment the Prophet said that one day the people will awaken And there will no longer be any Quran on the earth I mean it will be have removed from the breast of all men It will be removed from the walls of any message If it was written on the wall of any message It will be removed from any paper that was written on uh, During one night the Quran will be And that's when the people have stopped reading and acting upon the Quran Before the day of judgment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove the Quran from the face of the earth uh, In order to preserve it That it's not, you know, it's not left uh, uh, existing and, then, and people not uh, you know, paying attention to it. And, and this, is, this is after the major signs of occurring like the return of Isa ibn Maryam, salam, the return of Jesus and so forth. This is just before the day of difficult. Um And so then he says it consists of unequivocal surah I mean, you know, surah uh, al-muhkamah clear ayat, letters and words. Whoever reads it and expresses it clearly he will receive for each letter 10 blessings it was it has a beginning and an end it has parts ajza. it is recited by the tongues of men memorized in their hearts heard by their ears and written in the scriptures within it are the muhkam and, and the mutashabah, the you know the clear meaning and the equivocal the abrogated the abrogating the exclusive and the general commands and prohibitions so all those you know qualities uh, i just dis- i discussed when we studied the sciences of the Quran and also usul al-fiqh so We'll, uh, I mean if there's any questions regarding it, we can go into it but you can refer to those tapes Then he quotes the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you know, <laughs> that falsehood does not come to it from before it nor from behind it but rather it is sending down a tenzeel um, from one who is hakeem all wise hamid, uh, worthy of all praise and also he brings the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if all of human beings and jinns were to get together to produce this Qur'an, they could never produce its like, even if they assisted one another. And then he quotes the ayah from the Qur'an where the kuffar said that we do not believe in this Qur'an. They said one time that this is the speech of a man, meaning the speech of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. So when they said this, when al المغيرة said so that this is just the speech of a man, Allah said regarding him, سَأُصْلِهِ سَقْرِ I will burn him in hell. And others have said the Quran was poetry, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala said that we did not teach him poetry, as this does not befit him. But rather, that this is a remembrance from Allah in a clear Quran. Uh, so when Allah negated that his poetry, confirming that as a reading, there was no argument left regarding the Quran. That is an Arabic book which consists of uh, words, letters, and ayat. For what is not composed in such a manner, no one would call poetry. What, what, is, what is this all about? Well. You know, Ibn Qudama was dealing, as I said, I mean, this aqidah was written in context of the sects and groups existing in his time. So, one of the groups which existed in his time and exists in our time are the Ash'aris. And the Ash'aris, they tried to come to an agreement between the people of the Sunnah and the philosophers. You know, the philosophers, like the Martezila, they believed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not speak the Qur'an. Okay? That the Qur'an was you might say in meaning it's from Allah but they didn't believe it's Allah's literal words and the uh, people of the sunnah they said no that Allah subhanahu ta'ala spoke the Quran so the Quran are the literal words of Allah Allah literally spoke those words so the Ash'aris they tried to come in between it sort of an agreement between the two so they said Allah speaks spoke the Quran but only in a figurative sense so that and they said that Allah is not does not speak but rather that Allah has a mental speech a sort of a what they call it self-speech, you know. And that this self-speech occurred once in eternity, and you cannot say that Allah spoke the Qur'an. And so they, they denied that these letters are from the Qur'an itself. So, as if there were two Qur'ans. So, you know, he goes through about twelve evidences here to, to show that the Qur'an itself is not just the meanings, but is also the words and, and, and the letters which is, is composed. And so he, he brings this argument of reason Saying that look Allah challenged the kuffar the, the pagans To produce a Quran Like the Quran Which was revealed From the Prophet Muhammad Had it been a self uh, You know Mental speech As the Esha'ad claimed Right Then how could the kuffar produce it you know what I'm saying I mean, had to just because you know in order for you to, to if what would be the value of the challenge if there was no way to if it was something which they did not know what it is okay so so since since the Quran they knew what it was it meant that those words which were recited by to the uh, by the prophet muhammad then therefore they that was with the challenge okay if you think this is the words of the prophet then bring one like it but and so he's trying to refute the ash'aris in all of this and so all of these, um, you know, from, from points uh, 40 through uh, 44, I mean, all his points are trying to do is about 8 or uh, 12 evidences he's just trying to show that the Quran consists of those words which we recite and that these are the words of Allah okay, so, we, so, we have a half an hour? Okay, so we still have some time, I guess I can go through them so, uh, in, 40, in paragraph 41, um, <coughs> he says, that uh, he brings the ayah from the Qur'an, and if you are in doubt concerning that which we have sent down on our servant, then bring a surah like it, and call your witnesses apart from Allah. So, Ibn Qadam brings that argument of reason which I just told, spoke about, that it's impermissible that Allah would challenge them to bring forth a, something, like the Qur'an, if they did not know what they were supposed to bring forth. I mean, it was, as, as the Ash'aris claim, a self-speech. And then also, uh, he, he brings the proof from Surah Yunus, uh, in paragraph 42, that, you know, that when it was said to them, that when our signs are recited to them, they say, bring a Qur'an other than this. So it means that these ayat which were recited to them, is the Qur'an. This is the point he's trying to make You see Because the ayah says You know uh, That when, when, when our signs are recited to them Meaning when the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Reads these ayat, The Kuffar say Bring a Quran other than this Quran It means that the Kuffar knew that this was the Quran Okay Because the, the Ash'ad is claimed that there are two Qur'ans There's the Quran in the figurative sense Which are the words Which they say in reality are the words of Muhammad or Jibreel And then the meaning which is Allah's So this shows that the, the, the ayat which were recited Is the same Qur'an and um, likewise, uh, uh, that uh, he, he brings these in paragraph forty-four. That Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala said, كَفَهَيَّاَءِنْسَادَ and حَمِيمَ and اِنْسَادَ قَافَ. So these are all examples of you know these surahs which Allah began with, which begin with these broken letters. So these shows that Allah spoke this. And the Prophet has said in a hadith that he who recites the Quran and expresses it clearly he will have with each letter uh, ten good deeds and he who recites the Quran mispronounces it. he will have with each letter he recites one good deed, that hadith is weak um, and so in paragraph 44 the hadith is weak and the Prophet said recite the Quran before people appear who will prop up its letters like an arrow, it will not pass their throats they will hasten it in seeking its reward in the world but not defer that reward until the hereafter And then Abu Bakr said, to express the Qur'an clearly is more beloved to us than to memorize some of its letters. So here, they're referring to the Qur'an as having letters, being composed of letters. And Ali said, "Whoever disbelieves in a single letter of the Qur'an has disbelieved in its entirety. And the Muslims have agreed the number of the surahs in the Qur'an is ayat, words and letters. There's no difference between the Muslims that whoever denies a single surah, ayah, word or letter of the Qur'an uh, is a kafir and so then he says in this there lies an unequivocal proof that the Quran consists of letters because see the, the, I mean this whole I mean as I mentioned I mean this whole you know paragraph that he's trying to you know bring about is just to try to show and prove that the Quran consists of letters because the esha'ar is, I mean it, it will make no sense to you what I'm going to tell you now because it's bid'ah and you know bid'ah makes no sense it's just like the trinity you know what I'm saying the trinity is a bid'ah and it makes no sense so even if you try to think about it in the end you're going to say, well, what, well it makes no sense and so I'm going to tell you now well, how the Ash'ari think about the Quran, it's going to make no sense because it's a bid'ah. And that's the nature of bid'ah. when they say that Allah doesn't speak and it's a self-speech, they also added to that that since they said that Allah spoke once in eternity and when you say now Bismillah, right? doesn't the bad come before the seen becomes before the meme? Right? Bismillah, right? so because they said it Allah spoke once in eternity then therefore He said it all at one time and so there's no ba and there's no sin and there's no me. I, I know it doesn't make sense, but that's, that's the nature of bid'ah So, so and so, therefore, they said, you know, you cannot say that the Quran cons- composed of, is composed of letters. So Ibn Qudama went through this whole exercise just to prove that the Quran is composed of letters. I mean, even though for us, I mean, it seems natural that you know that you know Bismillah. I mean, it has you know ba and then sin and then me. And those are the first three letters, you know, and so on fatiha so we accept that and because, we, because we believe and which, which agrees with our, our natural state that the Quran is the words of Allah and Allah spoke those words so Allah spoke those letters but they they don't believe that Allah spoke those letters uh, and so they only believe that he only gave the meaning and so when he expressed the meaning he expressed it in a way which was not expressed by letters so Ibn Qudamah had to go through this exercise only to refute them. I mean the sad thing is that if you go to most of the Islamic world and you study most of the universities in the Islamic world, you study most of the circles of knowledge, they'll teach you about the Qur'an, the Qur'an is Allah's self-speech, and that it was, you know, I mean, that in reality it's the words of Jibreel or Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and that Allah speaks without letters or a voice, and so forth. I mean, you'll be taught that in Ash'ari's creeds, and I'm sure that here in England there are people who call to this, these Ash'ari beliefs and so forth, and so... I mean, it's important to know these evidences in refuting them because... And, and once you, you know, and another point, out, once you remove the Qur'an from being Allah's literal speech, then the importance of the Qur'an is not there anymore, right? I mean, when, when, when the Qur'an is... When, when we believe that the Qur'an is Allah's literal word that Allah spoke, right? This is the words of the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Then its importance is, is great. But once you start saying that, well, the meaning is from Allah, but the words are not really from Allah, that its importance is, is no longer there. And, uh, you know, once the Muslims, you know, adopted this creed, which is which is a basic creed that, you know, found in the <coughs> Islamic world, then their attachment to the Quran no longer was that strong, you see. And, and, and so as the centuries went on, you, you know, you find the importance of the Quran in, in the lives of the Muslims being, you know... Um, not, not there anymore, and that's why many Muslims, you know, they feel that the Quran is only during time of death, right? Uh, I, there's, I mean, um, you find some Muslims like if you play the Quran in your car, you know, they, they get very disturbed. You know what I'm saying? I say, well, "What's wrong, uh, brother?" Or sister, you know, "What's, what's why? Why is it that? It, well, because, oh, because it reminds us of death." He because, "Because the Quran is never recited, or is never contemplated upon, or is never, you know, except during the time when somebody dies." they they, you know, you go to the genocide. They play the Quran or something like that. Or if it's a president, they played on the television you know, during that day and stuff like that. So they say you always know when somebody in the Arab world has died, if the president has died because you hear on the television. So my answer to the Quran: the only time you're going to hear Quran on television or on the radio is somebody important has died. So once you hear Quran, you say, "Oh, okay, somebody died today." So you know, I mean, so that's that's what happens. So this is you know, so these false I mean, these false beliefs. I mean, it's not that they don't have. They have a, a definite impact on the lives and on societies and on, on nations. So when people start to you know take away the importance of the Quran, I mean it, it you know it impacted the way the Muslims are in character and behavior and so forth. So that that's um, so we've caught up now. And so uh, do we, I guess we can take some questions if there are any questions. Can I questions? Yes. Yes. Regarding
0: It. So once we have the
1: evidence against it, can just throw them out? No, I mean to throw them out of the masjid, I mean the, the brother of, was made the sisters in hear the question and he said that in his masjid is a problem for new Muslims and also in his masjid there is people of various sects and you know they argue and so forth. Can we throw them out of the masjid? I mean you, you can't throw them out of the masjid I mean, the masjid belongs to Allah. You, I mean only if we were in an Islamic state and you were the ruler then uh, you could you could stop them from calling to be I mean you can do that in the masjid. Okay, if you run the message, you can say that in this message we will not allow you to call to Shia We will not allow you to call to, you know, Ibali beliefs or whatever, and that's the rule of the message. Just like Imam Malik. I mean, when the person asked a question, he kicked him out of the you know, of this circle. So, in that sense, but just to stop them from praying, you, you cannot stop them from praying in the masjid. You can stop them from doing their bid'ah in the masjid. See, see, you see what I'm saying? The difference. Uh, also, there's another thing I mean, When the sunnah is prevalent The people of bid'ah, As Al-Barbahari said They're like scorpions Okay, so When the sunnah is prevalent They stick their heads You know, in the sand And they just stick out their stinger You know, waiting for the opportunity to sting you But but they won't be walking around You know what I'm saying So uh, So really When when your message is strong Okay And you're calling to the sunnah And the people are You know, the people are being taught the sunnah And the people of bid'ah. Know that there is no room for them there, and they will not preach that bidah. They might come and they might make salah, looking for that opportunity. As soon as the sunnah becomes weak, so they can go spread their bidah, but they won't. They won't, you know, preach to their bidah. You see what I'm saying? So that's the importance of you know of teaching the creed and teaching the sunnah. And and with new Muslims, I think I think the, the the creed of the salaf will a new Muslim will find you know because it agrees with his natural his natural disposition as a human being. So he, you know, will find it. You know, I mean, comforting. I mean, when you tell them we believe in what Allah has said, and we believe in what the Prophet has said. We do not interpret that with our own understanding and so forth. I mean, a Muslim will find that yes. I mean, I believe in Allah. I believe in the Prophet and I accept that. If we understand the meaning, we, we If we don't understand the meaning, we say we just accept it because. Nah. You know, I mean, this, this is, I mean, first of all, I mean, let's, uh, how are we going to, this is a, a big issue that you brought up, but it's important to discuss. I mean, you know, when, 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 when Bedouin says, I have no problem in calling, as, as the brother said, I mean, I didn't hear him, nor have I met him, but I, I might have met him once a long time ago, but, uh, you know, uh, I have no problem in calling, you know, Allah of the Father, you know what I'm saying? I mean, is it for him, I mean, whether it's a problem or not? I mean, this is, this is the whole thing which we learned in the first principle we said, the first lecture, you know, we describe Allah as Allah has described himself. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we, I mean, it's, it's very simple for us. By knowing these principles, you know, and teaching them, and preaching to them, you know, people will then realize the falsity of that. Yes, I mean, a person, obviously, if he doesn't know this principle, that we should talk about Allah, we should only speak about Allah in the manner which Allah has spoken about himself, or the Prophet Wasallam has spoken about himself, then he sees a figure, uh, like the one you mentioned, who says, well, I have no problem in calling you know, Allah the Father. Uh, th- then, then, that is, then that is, you know, you might get confused or something like that, because he doesn't know the basis of his belief. Um, now, when you come to the issues of specific scholars, and getting into the details, right, like, you know, why did Ibn Hajr say such and such? Why did Anawi say such and such? Why did so and so scholar say, like when I just mentioned about Ibn Qudam saying such and such? You know, this knowledge is not necessarily beneficial for everyone. It's only beneficial if you want to study the Aqidah and delve into its details. But for an average Muslim, right, what he needs is like, as Imam Shafi'i said, I believe in Allah and what has come from Allah as Allah intended. I believe in the Prophet. And what has come from the prophet ﷺ, as the prophet sallam has intended that's all that's all an average I mean a common Muslim needs you know I mean when you when you speak to the general when and this is a problem that brothers misunderstand when you speak to the general body of Muslims the the, the way of addressing them is different than when one addresses a specific body of Muslims okay I mean for instance I mean no, I might go into details in this lecture because this is supposed to be a studies course where we're studying Islamic belief. Okay, so I'm putting it at a certain level because people have come here to study. Now, if we are just in a masjid and we're just giving a lecture about Allah so what, I mean, I, probably most of the stuff which we discussed, well, wouldn't go into it. I would just read maybe some ayahs from the Quran and inform the people about, you know, some some of some basic meanings from the Quran because that's how one addresses them then and there. I'll come to you in a second. So, uh, so you know, one has to, you know, keep that into mind. Now, as far as, you know, specific things as you mentioned by, you know, Nur Hamim Keller or about uh, Qadbani. Nur Hamim Keller, I mean, to me, is, is, should not be put in the same vein as Qadbani. Nur Hamim Keller is a Muslim. I mean, it's, it's obvious, you know what I'm saying? He's a Muslim who is, his apparent nature is that he is you know, he is striving to, you know, apply Islam, but we disagree with him in what his, in his, what his conclusions that he's come to, right? What's, what's, what he harbors in his heart, only Allah knows. I mean, I'm not going to delve into that. But I mean, from his apparent nature, and from what people have met him who have, have told me, I've never met him, that he seems that he's a sincere person, but he's adopted you know, one of these beliefs, which we consider to be a belief of the people of bidah, right? And obviously the man has some scholarship. I mean, he couldn't have translated you know, I'm can put those notes. I mean, if he was a complete ignorant, right? I mean, that's I and mean, that's obvious. The man has some scholarship, and he has some effort. So I would imagine somebody like Nur Hamim Keller should be addressed by people who are of his level. You know what I'm saying? Or people who are more knowledgeable than him, and they should then debate him and come to an agreement. You know what I'm saying with him? Either they agree upon, you know, what the truth is, or alternatively, they've established the proofs against him, and then we can say. Clearly, well, the proofs have been established against this individual, and he is rejected, and so forth. But for us, just as used to make a statement against him, I mean, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. He's going to stick on what he is, and we sort of look, you know, I mean, we, we weaken our own position. All right. Now, with Qabbani, I mean, that, he's a charlatan. Okay. All right. And and and, um, and and the Sufis are like him. I mean, you know, look at his sheikh, I mean, novel, right? Okay. I mean, to them, the issue of hadith and aqidah and so forth—they never, they never cared about that stuff. I mean, the menhej of the Sufis in this case is that they, they, believe that they have a direct revelation which comes to them from Allah And if you read, if you read the books of uh, of his Sheikh Nawwam, it's very clear. Like his book, "The Secret Behind the Secrets Behind the Secrets," you know, and you know, uh, mercy oceans and so forth. I mean, it's clear. I mean, that you know, I mean, the examples that he gives and so forth—that he has a direct connection with Allah and he's very clear that you know he has uh, some sort of you know spiritual prowess and so forth like that so now they start coming and they start pulling out things out of books and so forth in order to argue because when they saw the sunnah being spread and people teaching the aqidah, right? they you know came about and they wanted to cut off uh, that to the people and so they, they, tried, to, they tried to clothe their argument in light of hadith and aqidah and scholars and so forth, so that a person who is not knowledgeable, he'll say, oh yeah, well these people, they quote scholars, and these people quote scholars, and these people quote hadith, and these people quote hadith, and these people quote verses, and, these people, and we quote verses. And so therefore a person gets lost. Okay, But if you go to their original preaching, their original message, right, it neither relies upon hadith, it neither relies upon... Uh, uh, neither relies upon Hadith, neither replies upon, uh, upon uh, Quran, or upon books of knowledge, or anything like that. I remember one time, you know, uh, we went to see uh, uh, Nawam uh, He supposedly came to the United States and was visiting in our city, and so we went to see him. So one of his followers uh, stood up and gave a speech about the Sheikh, and, and he, he said that, you know, that uh, among his teachers was a man who didn't know any Arabic and was illiterate. And knew nothing of the Quran, and, you know, and, and they felt that was that was praiseworthy that he knew not a single verse of the Quran. You see, but that's that's the original Menhaj. But because his heart was pure, he didn't need to know any Quran. He, he, he directly understood. You see the, the message. So that, that's a different religion, Islam. <laughs> that's Now later on, you see what I'm saying. They now start to clothe it in this thing, and, and this is and this is this is part of it. You know, this is part of. Uh, I don't want to get too, too much into it, uh, into Sufism now. But, I mean, this, this change into Sallwaf is part of this international, you know, you know, uh, it's like an international conspiracy. I mean, there's, there's appeared throughout the world in order to fight the correct Aqida. I mean, you have people in Kuwait who are like this, and people in Saudi Arabia who are doing like this, and in Syria, and Iraq, and in, in the non-Arabic-speaking Muslim world. And now we have in the West somebody who's coming. There's the same arguments, the same books, okay? They they're The same things that they try to use. And so, yes, I I not promised his brother first, I'm sorry.
0: No, no, go go ahead,
1: so I I'm trying to think of the verse you're referring to. I
0: mean... Uh, right, right, I'm trying
1: to see. Uh, I'm trying to I mean, re- review the Sura sort of no, on my first. I know, what no, I know what So, the, the ayah says uh, that it, w- it was taught to him by one who is, who is mighty in strength. So it's different teaching him and inspiring him. You see, I mean the verse is you know Allamahu, right? So the Prophet was taught the Quran by the angel Jibreel, right? So, that, but it doesn't mean that the, 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 the angel Jibreel inspired him with the uh, with the Quran. Yeah, you, see, you see the difference, brother? I mean the word I mean the word which we usually translate as inspiration Arabic, uh, literally means the Arabic language to 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 deliver a message quickly and in a in a um, uh, uh, sort of in a hidden, in a, not an obvious and non-obvious manner. And that's, that's when we say we use the word "inspire" in English, but "inspire" is not really a good uh, is not a good not a good translation of that word because the word "inspire," according to the the, the original Latin or Greek, wherever it comes from, uh, means to put a, a meaning in somebody's you know breast. Okay. Uh, but but that's not what the word "wahi" means. The word "wahi" means to communicate quickly. And also to qu- communicate in a non, in a non-obvious manner, uh, whether that whether that communication occurs by hand sign, whether that inc- communication occurs by words, whether that communication occurs by l- writing, that's all according to the, the, the Arabic language being wahi. Now, in terms of the Prophet Sallallahu we know that the angel Jibril used to come in and teach him the Quran. However, that teaching of the Quran. Was it's considered wahy because it was something inconspicuous. He would, they would not see the angel to come and teaching the Prophet in the Quran, but rather they would tell the revelation came to the Prophet ﷺ because sort of physical changes would occur to him. It might be very cold and he might break out into sweat. Or, you know, he would be riding his camel and the camel would not be able to hold his weight and would be forced to, to come to the ground. And, and the revelation was quick. I mean, it wasn't something where, you know, he would spend... Uh, you know, um, like hours in the state, but it was something just for moments, and the revelation would come, and then he would know it. So that's why the word "wefi" is applicable uh, to it. So I, I don't know if that clears up uh, which which you're asking. Uh, Yes. Well, John in his uh, castle, when he was on this, earth, uh, I mean, the Alan didn't actually directly speak to him. No. So it wouldn't be possible to say that it was actually
0: uh, Gabriel that came
1: to him and revealed yes. to him the, the ayah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word reveal, I would use the word taught him. You know That's what the, the word that, that Allah uses in the Quran. I mean, it's more accurate description, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, the word reveal, in, uh, in the, in, according to the Latin, comes from where it means to unveil. I mean, something is hidden and you reveal it, you unveil it. That's what, I mean, that's what the original sense with it is. There, there's, a, there's a lecture which I gave uh, here a number of years ago. Maybe some of the brothers in your locale can give it to you. It's called About the Sizes of the Quran. About 12 lectures And one lecture specifically I discussed the different forms Of you know I mean just to, For the lack of a better word Of revelation Which the Prophet Sallallahu Received Okay and, and one of it is His dreams And one of it is that The meaning was cast into his heart And one of it is that The angel would come to him In the form of a human being And speak to him And one time the, Or the angel would come In his angelic form And sometimes Allah Would speak to him directly Okay but you're right, the majority of the times that the Qur'an came to the Prophet is through direct, uh, not through direct speech but through the angel Jibreel being sent and teaching the Prophet the Qur'an. That was the majority of the times. Could you explain what did Allah say about the uh, angel Jibreel that he
0: was, he was
1: like just a messenger? Because one of the person in the described that he was just carrying the word. Yes, I mean, he says, you know, since, I mean, he that, says that he's a, you know, a, 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 you know, Rasul Kaneen that he's a you know, a noble messenger. So I mean and the word angel in Arabic, the word from you know Malaika, I mean it it means it means messenger in the Arabic one. Yes, brother? Law
0: now.
1: Well, here this is not from the. Uh, uh, this is, I mean, the correct opinion, as Imam Al-Shafi'i has pointed out. Uh, I mean, the brother is asking. I, I apologize to the sisters for the previous questions. I didn't repeat it, so they might have not understood the context of what I was speaking. Uh, but here, the brother is asking. We, we understand from after hearing uh, these lectures and from previous things that we accept what Allah describes Himself by without interpreting that. So how do we understand the ayah in surah of baqarah where uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, that belonging to Allah, المغرب, that belonging to Allah is the east and the west, متولو, wherever direction you turn, الله, then you will find Allah's wedge. How do we understand that? Well, as Imam al-Shafi'i has explained, that this is not from Allah's attributes. And according to the Arabic language, here, Wedge doesn't mean face, but it means jihah, direction. All right, you know, in the Arabic language, you say uh, you say which hattushay. All right, that this is you know, I mean, it's the same. You know, it's a it sounds like wedge. You know, I mean, it has it has the wow and it has the jim, and it has the ha. You say so you say which shake You know, and this has an extra letter here. Uh, it means it's it's something's direction. Okay, so here. Allah, it doesn't mean that you know there you will find Allah's face, but there you'll find you know, you'll find Allah in that direction. Okay, and so it's not from Allah's sifat. And so I, I don't know how they translate in, in some of these, in the other translations. They might use, they use the word face, but and that's incorrect I mean, according to the Arabic grammar, according to the Arabic language. Don't forget, I mean, when we say we, we accept these things literally, these attributes of Allah they have to also be understood in the context of the ayah that it's mentioned and so if if the context if if sometimes a word in the arabic language can have more than one meaning and you only know that if it's in reference to Allah's attributes or to something else depending upon the context of the ayah so this ayah uh, you know correctly is not from the ayat as the Shafi'i has said it's not from the ayat of Allah's slifat, from Allah's attributes And, and also the context in which his revelation points to that it was uh, revealed concerning, uh, you know, if a person does not know the direction of Qibla and prays according to his ijtihad, will his prayer be accepted? According to one explanation. It take some- yes, some time. Uh, the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, said the Quran has been sent down upon seven letters. Could you explain the meaning of this hadith? And how does it fit with the fact that the words of the Quran are the words of Allah Almighty? Well, I mean, in terms of the explanation of the hadith, I, I gave a detailed explanation of the science of the Quran, so you can refer back to that. Uh, uh, but uh, in terms of its, in brief, its uh, explanation is that the Quran was revealed uh, in, in seven um, modes of the Arabic language. Okay? The Arabs did not have a common language amongst them you know, I mean, just like now the speakers of English, right? I mean, Americans and Canadians and Australians and uh, Englishmen, right? I mean, are all considered to be speakers of the English language, but yet within the language itself, I mean, there are differences, right? Uh, Between those groups of people. And likewise, uh, between um, the, uh, uh, within the same nation, there's dialectical differences, right? I mean, southern people in the United States and in the south speaking from the northern earth and so forth and I'm, I th- I'm sure here in the United Kingdom there's difference in dialects so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Arabic Quran it didn't just it came initially in the language of Quraysh but a problem occurred was that, that not all the Arabs spoke the dialect of Quraysh and so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa asked Allah to the you know, a, a hadith says uh, amongst my ummah are you know old men and old women and people who've never Written a book, and people who are small children. And so, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Quran then in different, you know, dialects for the other major dialectical groupings of the Arabs. Uh, Furthermore, that uh, it it also is part of the challenge that the Quran came to the Arabs because the Arabs spoke a a different dialects amongst them, uh, and Allah. Required of them to said, if you do not believe in this Quran to be the words of Allah, and you say this is the words of Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, then bring a Quran like it. So if I was a non, if I wasn't from the tribe of Quraysh, if I was from another tribe, and I didn't, I could say, well, that challenge doesn't apply to me, because Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is challenging me with something that had he spoken my dialect, I would be able to do like what he could do. But because he's from Quraysh And he's speaking to me in a Quraysh dialect of Arabic Then, uh, then I, of course I can't produce a Qur'an like his Qur'an But if he spoke in the dialect of uh, You know whatever The Tamimi dialect or whatever Then I could speak I could produce it like his I mean that, that would be an argument so, so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala To cut that off Revealed it in, And so the Prophet Used to teach it in, On all these seven modes now uh, Or seven letters and, 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 that's, and that's the explanation of it Likewise, it extends the meaning of the Qur'an. The other benefit is it extends the meaning of the Qur'an. When an ayah is in more than one uh, dialect, uh, then it, it increases the meaning. Like, for instance, Maliki o It's also, in, in some of it's read Maliki o And the difference is just whether you make that, that what we say, the A sound, this is long Maliki or Maliki. One means owner, one means king. So you know, Maliki uh, din you know, the owner of the Day of Judgment, or the king of the Day of Judgment, the meanings are not contradictory, but it extends the meaning that he's a king on the Day of Judgment, but also he's the owner of that day. You know, as Allah says, the men al to whom does sovereignty begin on that, on, belong on that day. Um, now, in terms of, uh, so that's concerning, uh, and the Prophet taught all these modes, and, I mean, people who m- memorized the, uh, the uh, Qur'an, I mean, uh, some of them know by more than one mode and so forth, Then it's in books of tafsir and books of qiraat. You you had a question brother? Yeah, I thought Malik and Malik was a recitation,
0: but I don't know how the difference.
1: You thought it was what? I couldn't care, I'm sorry. It was from the
0: recitation, different modes of recitation rather than different
1: dialects. Yeah, there's a difference of opinion concerning, I mean, the relationship between the, the, the recitations to the letters. You're right, it's from the different Qira'at, but it go back to different, uh, the different Ahraf And this goes to the point that, you know, it comes to the point of difference that are all these seven letters, you know, seven dialects found in the Qur'an, in one, or are they, are they indifferent? You see, there's a difference of opinion. I mean, and they say, like, for instance, they say the seven, the seven, the seven letters are Quraysh and Thaqif um, and, and, and the people of Yemen and Tamim and Huzayl. And uh, two others I, I can't remember now. So, are all these seven found in the one, you know, or are there seven different? I mean, there's a difference of opinion scholars regarding that. So, yes, most now.
0: Uh,
1: again, there's a difference of opinion here that when, when that, when Earth when Uthman, uh, you know, put it, uh, you know, copied the Mus'haf and sent it out, you know, were they abrogated or not? I mean, Ibn Jirir comes to that agreement. Ibn Jirir comes to that opinion that that, 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 that since um, it was, um, since it was that it was something which was a uh, uh, um, uh, an allowance for the early part of the Ummah, okay? It was an allowance when in the beginning of Islam when the Arabs... Were different tribes and so forth. But once after the, the Qur'an, you know, they all start to understand the Qur'an, they all accept the message of Islam. So he standardized them in the language of Quraysh, right? That's one opinion. And that's the opinion of Ibn Jibriya, right? Uh, Ibn Jirah of Babri. But other scholars find this opinion unacceptable because they, they say the differences between the Qiraat are so vast that one cannot argue that they're all of one harf. So, this is, I mean, this, is, this is a difference of opinion, you know what I'm saying? And, and so, some scholars find Ibn Jirir's opinion. I mean, some scholars said, you know, Ibn Jirir, he's the one who confused the subject by bringing this idea. You know, had he, had he not entered it. They say that the fact that the differences in the Qira'at are show that they, that they represent different dialects. I don't yes. like,
0: but doesn't that open a door for
1: Orientalists? No. It doesn't open a door for Orientalists if we understand the nature of the Quran. The nature of the Quran, as, I, as a brother came during the break and, I, and I, we discussed it. And if you go back to lectures of science of the Quran, it that the nature of the Quran is such that its its miracle is in its transmission, its verbal transmission. I mean that's what we do. The point is, what do we define Quran to be? You know, Quran is whatever is reported. You know, it, it has three characteristics. that it's mutawatir, and it's, it's, it goes back to the Senate, it goes back to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And the third thing is that it agrees with the Arabic language in, in one form or the other, the Arabic grammar. So, whatever has those three characteristics is Quran. That it, it has been reported to us in a much wiser fashion. That it is in the Arabic language, it's agree- in the Arabic grammar, in one form or the other, even if it's not the most purest form. And that this, the chain of narration goes directly back to the Prophet Sallallahu Okay, and that 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 is Quran. So Quran is not, you know. Defined by what we find according to the Earth manuscript, you see what I'm saying, and which is which we find now. So I mean, if you understand the definition, of the Quran is, is as a verbal transmission, right? Then the then the the Earth manuscript is in agreement with that. Not that the, that the Earth manuscript becomes a basis, and we, we use the Earth manuscript, and so therefore we have opened the door for the Orientalists. Okay. So. No. Okay, so I, we, we've been given official signal from the. To, to to come to a conclusion now i thank the brothers and sisters subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shalom laika wa